0: Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun Podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman, your host. My guest today is the man himself, the 800-pound gorilla, Bill Gertine. I'm surprised that has taken me this long to have Bill on the podcast, but we had a great time talking. Uh, Usually, the feisty one is me, but Bill gets pretty feisty too, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, Before I tell you a little bit about what Bill and I talked about, I want to remind you a few things. Uh, Check out Talking Tickets, my weekly ticket newsletter. It's at talkingtickets.substack.com. There's a new format. Uh, I used uh, some of the tools from Axios' Smart Brevity to clear it up uh, and add some things and adjust some things uh, that people seem to be gravitating towards. So check it out, talkingtickets.substack.com. Check out my friends at Booking Protect. Um, Now a cover genius company, uh, doing some really, really great and important things. So check them out. bookingprotect.com Uh, make sure you visit my website. It's davewakeman.com There are a few new things that are, should be popping up now. I'm going to do like a monthly, uh, coffee chat kind of thing on zoom where uh, people from tickets and the industry get together to chat. Uh, that will be on the website and in the newsletter. So uh, you're going to get the newsletter. Um, make sure if you need me, give, send me an email, David, Uh, but that's all the stuff that you need to know from me. Now, my conversation with Bill is great because I wanted to have him on to talk about the ISBI, which is something that he started with Brett Zelaski. We hear from Brett all the time. So I wanted to have Bill on, uh, we talk about training in sports sales. We talk about the change in the business since the pandemic. Um, we talk about, uh, some best practices around, uh, employee education. We talk about the use of video in training. We talk about the cost of bad hiring practices. Uh, we talk about some of the processes involved in selling successfully. We talk about continuous improvement. We talk about profitability. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, the difference between marketing and sales. Uh, Bill gets a little feisty. So do I. We talk about market research. And we hit like a really, really a lot of stuff, uh, If you don't know Bill, Bill's great, and it was awesome to have Bill finally on the podcast. So I'm going to turn this over to me and Bill Gertine. Oh, wow. So I captured uh, the 800-pound gorilla himself, Bill Gertine, for uh, (laughs) the— conversation today. Oh, uh, this is awesome, Bill. This is like—I well, don't even know how we've avoided this so far. This is awesome. Yeah, I don't up? know
1: either, but uh, I'm glad that you got me out of captivity and uh, and were able to, to get me into the, the podcast. So thanks for the <laughs> uh,
0: invite. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna we'll, we'll use like tons and tons of like caged and captured metaphors. <laughs> it's gonna be awful. This, this is totally going nowhere good. Uh, but thank you for doing this. This is um this is fun um, because. I really admire the work that you guys have been doing with the ISBI uh, you and Brett Zalasky, Um you, you know, I mean, just in general, I think the world of both of you guys. So, um, but I wanted to bring this on, uh, bring you on today um, because Brett comes on, he just like sort of wedges himself in from time to time anyway. Uh, and I hadn't talked to you for this setting um, because I wanted to highlight some of the stuff. Um, can you give everybody a little overview of what you're up to right now?
1: Yeah. Well, for those who don't know, I, I had been a sales trainer uh, specifically for the ticket sales departments of pro sports teams for almost 20 years now. Uh, in 2016, started a virtual training company, seeing that the world was somewhat going digital at that time so that I could actually be in more than one place at one time. And created training modules specifically designed in a micro learning Sense. This is a scientific way in which people are training now. Some of the best companies in the world are finding that long form training is really giving way to short bursts of information that's needed at the moment so that you can apply it right away. And so we applied the science based technology to this product. And lo and behold, what we found is that it actually works really, really well. And so not only have we created three different levels of ticket sales, but we've now created more things in customer service, and in sponsorship sales, and in social media, and we've even expanded now to include positive mental health, and active shooter situation things, and uh, the the way in which to uh, incorporate esports and gaming into a stick and ball organization. So it's, we've really come full circle, 11 different programs now, and we're adding to that each year. So it, it's really found its niche in, uh, in the world of training uh, in a very real sense, and we've had over 100 teams participate in it.
0: Well, that's pretty pretty great. Now, what I want to ask you about is the part of the business, though, that trains and yep. uh, outsources uh, sales staff to um, teams around the country, uh, because there's a couple things, right? It's a cool model, because um, one of the biggest challenges that people are dealing with is hiring and training and retaining staff. Uh, number two, which is like for me, is like you got you guys are giving people opportunities that might not necessarily have a, opportunities. Uh, and what's even more exciting is that there's so many examples of these people thriving, and I think that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about that stuff?
1: Sure. We two years ago, when everything had shut down for sports, many many people were being laid off, particularly in the ticket sales side. If there are no live sports being played, there are no tickets sold, and Even when they started playing live sports, it was to empty stadiums. And so we were literally out of business in the training side. But we had an asset to use, and that was the training that we had created. And so it was really Brett that began the concept of rent a rep. So what we did was, after careful thought, we ended up hiring several dozen of the people that had been let go from ticket sales staffs around the country. We trained them up virtually using the asset we had, which was training, because if you don't use it, you lose it in training. And then we began renting them out to teams that eventually came back but could not afford full-time sales staffs. And so for a brief 90-day period of time, the teams would have this group of salespeople that were calling virtually from their homes, from anywhere in the country to those teams tickets uh, to, the, to those people that we had in their, their lead list. And so uh, it has become an incredibly successful. We did not start out as a, an entity that would be humanitarian in nature, but it really ended up being that way. A lot of the people that were let go were really devastated by that. And by bringing them together in this training mes- uh, mechanism, they all felt like they were going through something together, almost like a, you know friends in Vietnam or something. Uh, And so what ended up happening is that after the 90 days expired, a portion of our business model is that we would allow those teams who rented those people to hire them full time for a small transfer fee. And so what we found was that many teams would find one or two nuggets within those five or six people that they had rented and would hire them in full time. And I'm pleased to say that at this time right now, we're closing in on 100 reps that have been hired on full-time after having been hired as a rental representative uh, Not only that, but 30% of them have been, prom- that, that have been, that been for, for a longer than a year, and I think the number now is close to 20% of them have been promoted into leadership positions within their teams. And so it says something about the training that we're providing, the people that we're able to find in a very difficult labor market, and the way in which we're introducing them into the market by putting their toe in the water first, actually experiencing the 90 days of sales for that team, and then getting them that job at the end.
0: Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit like the way everything's virtual and the way that you don't have to be in the market. It reminds me of our mutual friend, Troy Kirby's idea of the rock star sales agent uh, <laughs> which yeah. has really come to life. Uh, Troy, a man before his time. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> um so um nearly a hundred people have been placed with teams. Yep. Thirty percent of them have been there for over or over a year, and then twenty yep. percent are in leadership. Yeah. Uh I know you you say that like part of it is the training and part of it is um the quality. Um what else? You know why? Why exactly are you having such success? Like I, you know, I understand. I understand this, but like I want to try to teach people how to make it a little more like this, so they can apply it in their own organizations, Um because you know, or just call Bill and Brett. <laughs> <laughs> we would prefer
1: that. But if you're looking for the secret sauce, the the one that really stands out to me that we've been able to move toward perfection. We're by no means perfecting anything with human people. It's because we're human. But we have found some places in which other teams may not look very closely and have given people a chance. You know, we've seen people with resumes that have holes in them, periods of time that really aren't explainable, or if they are explainable, it's not very savory perhaps. Uh, Or it's something that they're a little embarrassed to talk about. They had to take care of a sick parent or something like that, where someone might not give them a little bit more credit to be able to be a a productive member of their sales team. There have been others in different industries that have decided during the pandemic that I hate what I do. I want to change my life. This is what I want to do now. And they wouldn't have necessarily the sales background or the penchant for sports and it just didn't fit from a a sports team's perspective. We've had people in our group that have been turned down literally dozens of times by teams looking for them to be involved. We've had some folks that have been 50-50 raffle sellers for multiple teams in a market, but no one was willing to hire that person full-time in the sales capacity. So they had all kinds of experience. They had, more importantly, the desire to be in the marketplace. for some reason, these teams just didn't look at this individual as somebody that they wanted to pursue or to grow. And that may be it more than anything else, Dave. It's yeah. It takes time to nurture and to bring someone up when they hire them. You know, it isn't just, yeah. you know, you get them right out of the box and they can sell automatically. I mean, there's some work and time and effort that sometimes it takes to bring people up to speed. And frankly, some teams don't have the stomach for it or the personnel to be able to do it we've taken that step out we'll take very few people will come with us and we say none and it really isn't a good fit for you we'll take most anybody in our groups that we start with and it doesn't mean that we don't have some filters we certainly do but we have much broader basis from which to choose our people that we start in with us and then we start in with a three-week pretty intense training program from their homes And we start each of our groups, and they start every three weeks or so, these 75 to 100 people in this cohort that starts out with Brett and many of our other trainers on staff to be able to find out what they're made of. Now, some people from the very beginning discover that it's not LeBron stepping out of the limo that they get to meet. And so all of a sudden, it's not a cool thing for them. And so they'll drop out right away. And so A good percentage, though, will stay. And for those who have the gumption to stay and we see that, we will spend more time with them. And so if you figure half of them kind of winnow their way out, we've got a group of 40 or 50 every three weeks that are ready to be deployed to teams. And so I think some of the secret to our success, Dave, is that we've been unafraid to give most people a fair shake to see whether or not they really do have what it takes.
0: I think that's awesome, and and I want to come back though to um, this idea that like you're saying, you're successful because you, a you're giving people a chance, and b you're putting the effort behind tra- properly training people and um, developing their skills. One of the big concerns, or one of the, one of my big, uh, you know, I guess a hill I'll die on, Bill, is uh, I, is this idea that right. Um, too often, when a kid gets hired by a team, it's a sink or swim thing, mm-hmm. and um, and I, you know, and, and I'm trying to think of how the right way to ask the question so it doesn't seem like I'm ranting is really what the, what's going on here in my head. Um, well, uh, has changed?
1: I, I think I know where you're going with this, and I yeah, want to try right and, and, and kind of get there if I can. We have done cattle sure. calls in sports for a very long time, uh, attempting to play, you know, Survivor essentially. You hire 15, you think five will survive. Well, that's playing with people's lives. And frankly, it becomes expensive as you do it. Uh, Brett has done some extensive research and, uh, in fact, just posted here today uh, that an an NBA inside sales manager did a study about what he calls the cost of failure calculator. What it costs a team when they miss on a sales hire. And that bad NBA inside sales rep miss that someone makes on a team is now estimated to cost an NBA team $123,000. Now, there's a lot of numbers that go into that. Some is the opportunity cost that they would have had if somebody did well, would have sold. There would have been some other benefits and things that go along with that. The time and effort that it takes a manager to be able to get someone up to speed and then peter out at the end but $123,000 and MLS did the very same calculation with the team in MLS and it was darn close. It was $127,000. So if we round it out, $125,000 for a bad hire. And so when we do these cattle calls of 15 people at a time and we winnow them out and say, okay, five are remaining, what sort of damage are we doing to those people, not just within the industry, but now for who's going to come on next, and have them as an employee and it's really scary and i think that's where you were going with this what we're trying to do is to that's close absolutely that
0: gap. where i was going yeah
1: yeah we're, we're we're trying to close that gap and we're succeeding and it's really an exciting time for us to be able to do that we've actually started a third leg of the company that has more to do with recruitment now there are some teams that may not need a renter rep but they need the people And so we have a literally it's a membership based program whereby these people that have been trained and have been on 90 day assignments are now allowed to be then hired by other teams in this pool that we have. And we have an exclusive website that has all of their bios and their information and members can go to that site, look to see who they would like to interview and then arrange with, with our staff to be able to have that interview take place. We ask a small transfer fee, just like any other recruitment firm would do that. But these are people that have been on the phones. They have a track record. These are people that have been vetted already and have more of a propensity to succeed right away versus somebody that you hire with zero experience. And so what we're trying to do is eliminate the $125,000 mistakes that people are making.
0: Yeah, obviously, uh, if, it's a cost, if it's costing you $125,000 to make a bad hire, Um we Obviously, i got to become a partner in your business because there's a lot of money for me <laughs> to make. Uh, so
1: <laughs> well, so, there's, there's a couple of other stats that are really important, too. What we're yeah. finding is that, and you probably are some familiar with these too, Dave, with the work that you do in sales, which is terrific, by the way. 4.7 months is the amount of time that it now takes for a sales rep to become profitable. We put some money into reps when they start, they get a base, they have some sort of starting point in which to go. It takes 4.7 months to break even with a company to do that. And so the, the, the real challenge is out of 100 placements that we've had, it's it's astonishing. I said 30% stayed in the, at the 12-month mark. I was wrong with that. Brett just reminded me of this. It's not 30%. We've had 96% in the industry. At the 12 month mark. And I didn't mean to miss it that badly, but I wanted to be sure to make that point. 96% of the people we have placed are still in the industry in 12 months. And so we are doing something right in this. And what we want to avoid is this churn and burn that the industry has been so infamous for. Oh, yeah. And I know you've been railing against for a long time.
0: I am very good at ranting. That's uh it's a professional uh, the skill I have is ranting about things. Um, <laughs> you know, overeducated uh, is part of my problem. Uh, so let me ask you, since the since like lockdowns ended, right? Like you talked about the need um, to bring in staff, uh, especially at a difficult time um because it was hard to ramp back up after the the pandemic lockdowns ended. Right. What have you seen that has? changed and then what have you been seen um that has remained the same uh and i guess like we can go two ways of that like you know maybe like an example of something that's good that's changed and then like something that you wish had changed um and something maybe that like you, you know we'll go, we go both ways with it because you bet. I, I mean again yeah. i have my own rant ready it's loaded <laughs> You
1: may jump in and, and refute whatever i say then dave whatever i have to go but <laughs> Uh, What I've seen change is the size of sales staffs that people have within all sports, doesn't matter where you are. The level of staffing that is taking place within teams, not just in the sales department, but in all departments, has not returned to pre-COVID sizes. And frankly, I don't think it's going to. I think what they're finding is that they can do just about what they need to do with the personnel they have. And it's been more difficult to find qualified personnel to do that. And so those two factors combined have really led to a a practice within most teams, if not all of them, of hiring fewer people. Now, what that means is that those people who are on staff are burdened with a little bit more to do. And I predict that soon, if it hasn't happened already, that we're going to have almost a second wave of people who have decided this is not for them any longer simply because of the fact they're doing more now than they've ever been asked to do. And so I fear that burnout may be something that becomes more prevalent in the next 12 months perhaps than it may have just 18 months ago. Uh, And that's one of the concerns that I have for the industry at large. Uh, the, The answer is not to just pay more, it's pay more attention. People need more understanding about their personal lives within the companies that they work for. And we could spend a lot of time talking about well-being and, and the kinds of organizations that we wish to have, the ones that others ask others to want to be a part of, and, and seeing the benefits that accrue from that. And it isn't simply a you know putting a daycare center in and making that you know a, a benefit. It's caring for the whole person. It's caring that a manager would actually ask how you're feeling and care about the answer and to have some sort of benefit program, including some mental health programs and the, the VSPs and the other things that are, are benefits that do have a cost attached, but, be, but pay back in terms of not only loyalty to a company, but being able to refer others to say, gosh, this is a really great place for you to work. You should come with me. I think that's going to define where sports and all companies really go. Sports has not been very good at that. We have been very sexy to work for for a long time. And we've relied on having people feel really good about their name next to the logo on the business card. And I think that era is going away.
0: Yeah. And if you take those numbers of 123, 127,000, if you get somebody to stick around for a little bit of time, there's a lot of money you can put in those BSP plays.
1: Holy crap <laughs> yes. a lot. Oh. If you're thinking I can't afford this because this costs so much money for me to lose these employees, well, think of the cost of not doing it. You're continuing right, exactly. to throw 125 thousand dollars out every single time that you lose one. And it, it's it's such a recurring cycle. we we tend to be so myopic and focused on the next three months that we don't as an industry often look long-term and there are certainly a few exceptions and i don't wish to throw all of sports under the bus there are some organizations that i'm not specifically aware of for our conversation that are doing things right that are seeing benefits Mm -hmm. in creating more of a holistic approach to the people that they employ but it's Mm -hmm. far in the minority right now
0: yeah and i i know a couple of examples but um you know, we 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 can talk about it not on a broadcast here, um, but you talked about the burnout in the second wave of uh, people kind of like just you know being frazzled and getting out of here, um, which brings me up to the question. You know, and this is definitely where the Dave rant comes into play: is um, the need to phone crush, you know, and phone crushing um, because you know you 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 are. Um, definitely playing to the crowd here when you're talking about the work I do and how good it was. So thank you. (laughs) I will always take the compliment. Uh, But what, but the challenge I have, and I'm curious about like how you're dealing with it or what you're seeing is this idea though, that like, you can just brute force sales for sports tickets. And that usually leads to phone crushing. And I still have photos that people send me where like a soccer team has called them 36 times in a week. Um, and I, you know and i guess how much of that is still the same and how much it, it, that you've seen is it different because people they they tell me oh we've we've definitely changed and then i sa- see in practice i go nothing has changed so i want to know from you because of all how close you are to doing this daily how much of it's changed and how much of it's still unfortunately the same
1: well there certainly is some of the same and i'm sad to say that there are some just pounding of the phones that take place on a regular basis. What we're learning is that a mix of media is becoming far more effective at selling tickets, whether it be a combination of phone and email and text and uh, sometimes WhatsApp and some other social media channels that people have preferred to communicate with. What's really required now, in my opinion, is to find out customer by customer how they prefer to be communicated with. And that becomes one of the more critical questions in the customer service side and being able to maintain a positive relationship with a client. How do they prefer to be communicated with and to find that out and then to actually listen to what they say? You know, if they say, I would love to have you text me and then to follow up with five phone calls is not a good strategy. So we believe that there's a combination of factors that's going into this, one of which is the the stark realization for some that a good CRM system is not simply a luxury anymore. It is a necessity. Whether you choose to do it on the cheap with some freebies or those who have smaller platforms or to Salesforce and some of the very larger Microsoft Dynamics, a CRM platform is essential to having a good, solid customer relationship management moving forward. Excel spreadsheets are still being used by a percentage of teams out there. And I think when you look at that haphazard method that people are using, Dave, you and I are laughing about this, but it's happening. You've seen it. I know. you. I know. I've seen it. I have seen it this week. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, The the concern, of course, of theirs is, oh, my gosh, CRMs are so expensive, and they're so complicated, and I have to get people to use them. How much does it cost not to do it? The 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 lost opportunity cost of not having a CRM is enormous. And for teams that are just starting, my suggestion is begin with the CRM. Make that your foundation, not just for your sales staff or your service team and all the others that communicate with your people. So that a database and an understanding and a a realization of the fact that these are real people, too, and they have lives and you're gathering information about them so that you can serve them best in the future is critical going forward. And what I see is a direct correlation between those who don't do a really good job of data management and those customers who feel harassed. Mm-hmm. By people because it's a haphazard system that they're trying to sell tickets by. So, the more organized you can be using a good CRM and the more, more diligent you can be in using it, the better off a team will be with its relationships with the people they serve. All right.
0: You've opened up a big door for me. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but the, so you talk about, so there's a formula that I use first to go back to what you've, you said you found, because I found this years ago through marketing, right? Like, you know, um, and it's a plus B is greater than two A or two B. And all that means is that like, if you combined, uh outreach methods right so like you know because a lot of the stuff i'm doing is like brand management type stuff you know if you send out like uh, a tv ad with a radio ad that's more effective than just doubling down on radio or tv um you know and when the sales we're talking about like if you couple a phone call with like a direct mail piece or a text or anything <laughs> like in-person thing it's more effective so that is like um absolutely great to hear that like you guys are seeing this play out because it means that i don't have to update my model thank you um (laughs) but customer by customer right understanding this thing customer by customer um first question here is like are people talking to their fans and their customers more than they have in the past because again that's one of those things that people say oh we're talking to them but i but they're not I mean, I I, again, because I see that I go. Where's the research? Where's the documentation? Because if you're not tracking the stuff, I'm going to go back to
1: their definition of what talking means. Because if they are using the definition of talking as talking at their customers, they're doing excellent. They may feel as though they're doing a great (laughs) job, but it's talking to the customers in a two-way dialogue that may be lacking. Certainly, they can push out all kinds of pieces for their benefit you know the highlights from the last game and and all the other things about Mm -hmm. the latest player changes or whatever's going on and they feel like that's communicating but if you're not getting something back from your customer base if you're not engaging in some way with them in two-way dialogue then i would not call that talking to my customers Uh, that's it's literally just pushing out data in certain forms and it might be uh, consumed which is great, but if there's nothing that's coming back to you, well, you don't have that relationship, in my opinion.
0: Right. And it comes to, I guess where where I see it come show up too is like, when, yes, there's a lot of uh, blurting, there's vomiting of information out. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of listening that goes on, and then what you have, what what you find out is that what the customer values is entirely different than what people are talking about from the team side. And where I really see this happen so often, and this is like part of, well, there's like a lot I have here, Bill, I got a lot, Um, where it really is dangerous, right? And it's really dangerous is in the premium sales part, because a lot of times, like you have a lot of young sales reps who don't have a lot of uh, business experience or business acumen. And when I'm talking with, like, a lot of the corporate buyers and a lot of the corporations, their frustration uh, comes out in a couple forms. The first one is that, like, they feel like they have to train the rep to service them. And it's frustrating because their, their rep probably changes every year or two. So they're pissed off about that. Uh, the second one is, like, in making the offer and talking about what they get the benefit from being a partner of the team in the premium seat it's irrelevant to them because they don't like the kids don't and it's not their fault they just they don't have the experience they don't understand what they like can't see it from like you've talked about like understanding the value through the eyes of the customer and then the third thing is is like what the teams think is premium is not usually what the premium buyer considers premium um so i after that rant i i even forgot uh, where it's going but um so my i guess my thing about this is is like going are you seeing the teams use their ability to research the market better? You know, besides just talking to people, but are they doing a um, better job of understanding the market so that they can tackle some of these issues, right? So they can understand what premium really looks like, um, what value looks like to the customer, and help those, those reps get more business acumen. Because I think that's really what it comes down to.
1: I believe there's more of an understanding of the value of data by all teams. I have seen data departments or the fan analytics team, if you will, grow exponentially in the industry uh, where a team might have a single person or two people on staff to be able to help them call the leads that they should call or somehow understand how they should serve the fans better. I see those five or six people in that department now. So obviously people are taking it seriously. How they're applying what it is that they're learning is all across the board. And much of it has to do with once you have the information, the the communication of that by these young reps to that customer still becomes an issue because of just what you said, Dave. We're working with younger individuals who don't have the maturity to understand the application, especially in the premium space, for a customer that's spending six figures or more for a suite and how to accurately and adequately use that to build their business it's really more of a a caretaker sort of a a relationship than it is uh, someone to help them maximize their investment. And to that, there really does need to be an increase in the understanding of those reps of how someone can leverage the investment that they're making to help them increase whatever it is they want to increase, whether it's revenue, relationships, or something else.
0: No, that's I think it's good. And when there is a a higher use of data. There's a more awareness. Now where I'm challenged by this too though is it's a one so I guess there's two parts of it. The first one is that like the data is necessarily is just coming in, right? And I had and then it the people consider it absolute. So those are the two things. And my issue is with this idea that like People are using all this data. They get the data like you know. Every I get this one all the time. Oh well, X League sends us this data on Mondays, and we have all of the data for so we can compare ourselves to everybody. So you want to be average? No, that's garbage. Um, is the lack of direction right? And and I guess my question to you is. Um, You know, how do you help people say, like, look, the data alone is not going to solve your issue. You also have to develop the mindset necessary to interrogate the data and have a hypothesis for what you want or what you want to answer using your data. You know, and and as an example, I'll put it in the show notes if I remember the ALSD article I talked about. Um, backward market research, right? Which is like, one, what question do I want to answer? Um, how is it going to show up? Let me design my survey that way. That's as simple as this. How do you get people to embrace that mindset? Because I think that like, you, you get the, the danger in just looking at the data is absolute. Like, you can't be wrong. Like, you know, it's, the data says this, but like, it's really like contextual whether the data says anything at all.
1: Well, it's people are getting more and more data conscious. But it's the application of that data that I think is deficient in many cases. It's, as you said, you've got this stuff, but how are you actually using it and applying it in a sense that makes sense? I don't, you know, there are so many people who lead departments and have this bridge that's necessary between their fan analytics and their marketing and sales departments, that there has to be some sort of understanding of each other's business in order for the group to accurately decide what to do and what the data is actually saying. Just because someone's not going to a certain concession stand doesn't necessarily mean that the food is lousy. It may be in a horrible location. It may be uh, there in a space that uh, has either the longest lines or takes the longest to be able to do. It's being able to apply that data and actually do some observing at the same time that I think most teams are finding most effective. You see the data and you say, okay, what's happening there? And to actually then observe in real time what is happening either during game days or in in other ways to be able to interpret that with your own eyes to be able to then say, okay, now I see what's going on. Now I know why the data is coming back this way let's move in this direction and i think that that's probably the missing piece right now dave is the ability to accurately interpret all of this fire hose of data we now have into actionable things that will help us move forward
0: right and the way you described it, it brings it back to one of the um, things that I try to encourage people to do. more. I don't know how many times a day I tell people to do this, or and on a week it's got to be in the hundreds, um, but is go out and quote-unquote shop a game like a fan which you go through the whole process like you, you would like. So, no, you know, if you're the team president, you can still do it because most of the time the ushers and the people who are, they all know who you are. Nobody cares, um, you know, and go through and understand it. Because I guarantee you that if you had to go through and deal with the parking and like the lines and everything the same way a regular fan does, the way you expect a fan to do it, it would change your view of the experience 180 degrees. You know, because you're going to find out like there's a lot of stuff, right? Like the purchase path of getting the ticket, you're going to be like going, I'm not standing for this anymore. There shouldn't be eight clicks because when I go to Amazon, I can buy one click. Um, How do you? How do you get? I know that you feel very similar about this because you're nodding your head, smiling at me, uh, and we've talked about this before. So it's no, no, no there's no yeah. surprise <laughs> How do you get people to do that? Because I still have to t- spend so much time talking with people about this. Well, and how then, do you encourage? The,
1: the easy answer is to hire a market research company that does secret shopping. Okay, to be able to get that done, so to have that actionable real data. But again, it's data <laughs> that you don't have first-person knowledge of to be able to do that. It is time-consuming to have a leader actually become a customer. It takes time out of what you might normally do, but it is that time that allows you to move forward in actionable ways. It doesn't have to be the leader of the organization. It could be someone else on their team. But I think to designate individuals as secret shoppers on a regular basis, just to be able to say, is our data actually real? Yeah. Does the, what we're seeing actually reflect the experiences that people are having, I think is critical in order to fully understand how to act on the data you have and the experience you saw and felt. And I, I think without that sort of firsthand experience, I think your data is incomplete.
0: Oh, I absolutely. I believe, um, and I'll ask you this one, you know, when you're... To, because I, I think we're both on the same page about this data and how, the, how the, the sort of what we would define as a proper way of approaching it. You know, so I'm curious to you is like going, how do you, you know, how do you show that to people, right? Because I and i my strategy, my thing is like going, hey, look, you got to start with these small things, right? Like you understand, like maybe I walk around the arena, maybe I walk around the ballpark, maybe I talk to a, a, a ticket holder, right, and then I go and do my focus groups, and then I do the big stuff, right? Um, And and a lot of times that seems, people, um, they struggle with it, right? Because I think, and I think it's because of all this overwhelming amount of data now that we have, and they think, oh, the the tickets are coming through. Um, You know, how do you, approach this with people you know like you know because i'm always curious to learn from people how how they approach things because i'm not i don't believe that my way is the only right way um i believe that there's like a lot of different ways to approach these things so uh you know how do you approach getting people to understand you know to get to that point where they go hey i need to connect the data with the experience to make sure everything looks right
1: well often dave i don't get to that point and so i don't have that ability (laughs) I I don't get to talk to those people. They, They don't ask me for that expertise often. Since my niche has always been the sales training side of things, although I'm fairly holistic in understanding how the operation works, my expertise has been somewhat limited or the perception of my expertise has been limited to how to sell tickets well. And certainly, I'll have many, many questions about what should we be saying to people, how often should we call them, and the things that you might expect a sales department to need to know. But I'm not rarely, I'm not really called into an opportunity to be able to discuss these things. I certainly could, and I think you know many teams would benefit from some third party like yourself or myself to be able to come in and objectively say, "Gosh, this is probably something you should look at." But I think often. Uh, there's a little bit of protectionism that goes on. And frankly, if I were them, I might feel the same way. Who does this guy, you know, what does he know? Uh, You know, this is my job and and I'm kind of doing a little bit of protectionism here, I suppose, maybe self-preservation, maybe a little nervous about what you might find that maybe my job is irrelevant or am I not doing it quite right? Or I'm really sold in one of the methods that we're using and you're gonna gonna tell me it's all wet. So I think there's some fear that goes on with, with people either not asking what's wrong or perhaps worried about what the answer might be
0: yeah and i didn't i didn't mean to ask it that way to put you on the spot or anything it's just like no no
1: no
0: no, i I didn't take it like you answered it that way either i just wanted to be i wasn't trying to like uh because and i the the reason i asked it is because like and again i'm i guess i'm trying to use you to make a point which is like going you can't if you don't know this stuff you can't sell as well as you poss- as you can- as you should be able to and that's really the point it's like going it's you brought you talked about the silos right and the silos breaking those silos down is so important because it's not like the customer only exists on the sales side or only in the marketer. the customer doesn't care the customer exists inside the business and your job is to keep a fan, is to create and keep a fan Right. And keep them coming back over and over and over again. And so if you are operating from a lot of these limiting mindsets. Right. So like you talked about, like the success you've had is because you've opened up your ability to reach a different audience and a different group of salespeople who may not have a traditional background. They may be a little right. further down the road in their career, right? And you've highlighted the ability of the success of training people in a different way, right? Because historically, um, the training session will come in, they'll call Bill, they'll call Brett, they'll call Dave, uh, they'll call Kathy Burroughs, they'll call any of us, come in, we'll do a date, <laughs> And then and I've always been like going, let's build in some sort of follow up because I want to make sure that the application is there and you've changed that model. So all of these things going on, I guess what, you know, the, what I'm trying to get to as we kind of wrap up here is like going challenge your assumptions. And, yeah. you know, and the question to you is like going, you know, if there was a call to action besides the plugs we're about to do is like, how would you encourage people? To um, challenge their assumptions, to challenge the the way things have always been, Um, you know, and to look at this, um, the market and the world that they're dealing with, with a fresh set of eyes, because I've got the data that shows that like habits have been interrupted. It takes about on average 66 days for a habit to change. And we most of us spent a lot longer uh, not being able to go to games and events. Right. Um, You know, the the. Data on people coming back to downtown urban centers. Um, a lot of places is 50 percent of what it was before the pandemic began. You know, and all of these things are going on. To assume that your market segmentation, your market research should look exactly the same now is, I think, a poor assumption. So, from your point of view, how would you? How do you get? How do you encourage people to take a fresh set of eyes to their challenges and to their opportunities? Well,
1: th- I would ask each person that's listening today to look at what they do in sales and recruitment and training as a process rather than an event. Many times when people hire a trainer or hire someone to be able to fill a position, it becomes, it's an event. They're going to put on a job fair. They're going to do a three-day sales training program. And then they can check that off the box. You know, the box is checked. Hey, it's something I've done versus, Looking at this as more of an ongoing 12-month-a-year process of not only continuous improvement, but tweaking on the process that's gone on. We're seeing that education and the training that goes into someone becoming more and more successful has far more to do with incremental growth over over time versus a firehose of information over a day or two, some of which will leak out very quickly. And so that's what we have found to be successful in our world. On, the, tra- on the, the recruitment side, to continually recruit is really a smart process to be able to do because many hiring managers have found themselves in a lurch and panicked to find three people that they now need instantly that they had not prepared to need along the way. And so that lost opportunity cost of having three empty chairs in the office becomes a real liability for them. So it, it, those are the kinds of things that I would ask people to do. What are you doing to think about your business as more of a process of improvement rather than simply an event-based, moving from event to event to event as necessary?
0: Oh, I, Bill, you nailed it, man. I mean, <laughs> not that I expected anything less. All right, right, let's. Uh, I think we've done the thing. Uh, let's plug. Bill, where can people find you?
1: I would love people to take a look at ISBI 360. So it's ISBI360.com. Plenty of information there on our Renter Rep program, our virtual micro learning sales training programs, and our brand new recruitment portal in a membership sense that people are well-trained and ready to go. And you can look at all the different resumes and actually choose to, to interview who you'd like. And that's, uh, you can e- email me at bill at ISBI360.com.
0: You, you, you only, if you're a real friend, to get the, the 800 pound gorilla email address.
1: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 if somebody wants to reach me there, it's bill at the 800 pounds. <laughs> Happy to talk to either. I, I answer all of them. So it's all good. Oh <laughs> man. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, it's my privilege, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: What did you think about my conversation with Bill Gertine? Let me know by sending me an email at my name, David, Dave Wakeman.com. Check out my website, Dave Wakeman.com. Get the Talking Tickets newsletter, talkingtickets.substack.com. Make sure you rate, review, share the podcast if you dig it. All of these things help get the podcast in more ears, helps me uh, reach more people, helps me get more people, Uh, great guests like Bill Gertine, Scott Goodacre, Zoe Skamen. It's great. So make sure you check it out and rate it, review it, and share it. Check out my friends at Booking Protect, a cover genius company now. And that means that even more ways to add value for your business. So give them a look at BookingProtect.com. Uh, reach out to my buddy Haley. Uh, we have some new exciting things that we're thinking about and working on. So check them out, BookingProtect.com. As always, I want to thank you for being here. I know that all of this stuff in the world is being as uh, stressful. So if you need somebody to chat to, send me a note, David, Uh, I try to be a shoulder to cry on, um, someone to talk to, or I'll just crack some bad dad jokes, whatever. Um, just don't feel like you're in this thing alone. All right. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.